When I was a child, I thought as a child. When I'm adult, I think as an adult. So kids don't always deal with it as on an adult level. Welcome to Truth, Love, Parents, where we use God's Word to become intentional, premeditated parents. Here's your host, A.M. Brewster. Welcome, friends. I hope you're having a wonderful day. I feel like I got to be super chipper this morning because the content of today's show sounds so very dark. But our topic today is extremely important and it needs to be discussed. It's so important that I brought on a special guest to help equip us for the task. Today's discussion is about self-harm and more specifically the practice commonly known as cutting. Now, before I continue, I want to encourage those of you with younger children to stay with us today. And this is for a couple of reasons. The first is that your children may be young now, but as they grow and are exposed to various forms of negative influences, you're going to need to be aware of what's out there and be prepared to help them interpret that information biblically. A lot of parents are surprised. All of a sudden, their kid's cutting themselves and their parents didn't even know that was a thing. The second reason is that statistically, self-harm is most common among teenage girls. Now, as a side note, that observation alone might be important enough for us to dedicate a whole show. But back to the stats. Some studies have shown that 40% of college students self-harm in one way or another, that 20% of high schoolers participate as well, and additional research suggests that 7% of third-grade girls and 8% of third-grade boys said they had self-injured at some point in their lives. My point is this practice is not merely the go-to for broody teenage boys. Any child can be tempted in this arena. And that's why I've asked Dr. Mark Shaw to join us today. I met Mark at the Annual Association of Certified Biblical Counselors Conference, I attended one of his many workshops specifically about self-harm, and I knew he'd be great help for you premeditated parents out there. How are you doing, Mark? Doing great. Great, great, great. Thank you. Awesome. Well, uh, for for all you listeners out there, Mark and I have uh, have been really trying to connect here to make this work. And I, you know, honestly, I, I'm very hesitant to ever, you know, put my, my thoughts out there. You know, the, the devil is trying to stop this from happening, but it's interesting when I'm trying to connect with certain people for interviews and whatnot, how many issues and stuff come in and it's just technological issues and all that kind of stuff. So Mark and I have been battling this morning, actually getting connected and I'm, we're, we're so happy to be together. We're almost giddy, but um, it's, it's, it's actually working. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump in here and uh, just get the chance to know you, Mark, give you a chance to introduce yourself to the audience. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, tell you about your family, and uh, tell us about what your ministry is. My wife and I have been married uh, over 20 years. She would know the exact number of those years, but um, we have four wonderful children, and we now live in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I am restarting a ministry that I started, I founded uh, 10 years ago called Truth in Love Ministries. And we are a local church partnering organization. We go into local churches and start counseling. We have a turnkey operation. We have an office manager who manages uh, counseling appointments. And then uh, as we counsel, we teach a class at night and it's very interactive. It's it's lively. It's not just content driven. I think there's a lot of great content out there. But what I'm trying to focus on is uh, giving people an opportunity to mix it up a little bit, to work on case studies and role plays and listening skills and learn how to ask good questions and you know follow the breadcrumbs, so to speak, of uh, what people are saying back into uh, their heart motivations. And so we do that at night, try to find people in the local church who want to do counseling and uh, then enfold them into our ministry. And we counsel in teams of two. So we always have two counselors in every session. 
and we put those church members with our more seasoned team of counselors in our ministry, and we uh, hope to raise them up from maybe a second chair counselor to a first chair counselor, meaning they become a disciple maker, a leader, and we constantly replicate. So we're trying to always counsel in teams of two for the purpose of replicating more counselors and growing the ministry in a local church. So that's what we do in the Indianapolis area. And then I teach on addiction and uh, nationally and internationally and so forth. So really excited about the days ahead of ministry for Truth and Love Ministries. That's Well, first of all, you got a great name, just saying, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, second of all, I think um, that what you're doing is amazing because it's getting counseling, you know, back into the church, back to the people um, who the Lord has equipped uh, to be doing that work, which is uh, awesome. But I also, um, you know, you kind of, you made a little comment there about, um, you know, speaking and whatnot on addictions and stuff. And I'm, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your experience in that. Like, how, how does a person come to the place where they're invited to come talk about addictions? Hey, we need someone to talk about cutting. Let's get Mark Shaw. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I have a very gifted wife who edits all of my writing and my books. And so, I have 20 published resources, and I have that many because of my wife. She edits and does a great job and gets it ready for the publisher to where it's almost publisher ready uh, when they receive it. So that's that's why I get invited is I have a lot of resources. I've worked in the addiction field since 1991, and um, I take a deep breath when I say that because it's hard to believe, A, that I'm that old, and B... <laughs> that uh, that I've done this kind of work because it's hard as you know just uh, residential living you know with people um, you're, you're dealing with everything from they need a toothbrush to they need uh, to be counseled due to some traumatic event in their lives so uh, it it runs the gamut and it can wear you out if you're not careful but uh, I, I love it and I'm thankful people allow me to consult with them help them in their ministry or teach their church train people on how to do effective heart ministry for the issue of idolatry, which, as you know, is just a, a self-addiction is really what most people have. Mm, so true. So very true. All right. See, I told you uh, Mark knew what he was talking about, and he does. I, I was, um, like I said, I, I had met him in, in one of his workshops, and I was blessed, uh, so blessed and helped in that workshop. And I'm really looking forward to um, him sharing his knowledge and his research and his learning and experience with you, which is, uh, which is why we're all here. We're here to grow as parents. Now, I just threw out some statistics uh, in my introduction, but I'd like you to take a moment to kind of define self-harm broadly. And what I, what I always do, and I always do this to my interviewer, interviewees, I always throw a bunch of questions at them and then hope they remember most of them. But this is kind of what I'm, I'm wanting from you. Uh, kind of to define self-harm broadly, um, try to define cutting for us specifically, uh, and then just share some of your observations you made um, in your ministry to people with this self-harm um, temptation. Like, you know, I'm just curious, you know, like you might ask among young people, who's predominantly affected by this? Um, uh, do these young people have anything in common? You know, stuff like that kind of help us understand the the big picture of this. Sure. Well, self-injury, it, it, the, the definition of self-injury is injuring yourself on purpose by making scratches or cuts on your body, usually with a sharp object, uh, enough to break the skin and, and to make it bleed. You know, it's, it's termed self-harm, self-mutilation, self-abuse. Uh, SIB, self-injurious behavior, is a term you hear for this. And then 
Um, there's, you know, non-suicidal self-injury. So NSSI is another abbreviation that you, you hear linked to this. But it's basically, you know, injuring yourself, hurting yourself. And, and there's a number of ways to do that. And if you think about it, Aaron, we all injure ourselves. I mean, we all make mm. choices day in and day out. Some of ours are smaller uh, scale, but what we eat, what we uh, choose to do or, or fail to do if we don't exercise or we don't take care of ourselves. I mean, there's a, those are little tiny forms of that. But um, for the, the kids that we're talking about, it's normally younger people uh, who struggle with this, although I've, I've met with, you know, late 20s, uh, early 30s, that age range, but um, very immature thinking behind that. But self-injury is uh, just, it can be burning your fingers, cutting your skin to the point of bleeding, which is typically what's what's most uh, heard of, what's what's known out there. Uh, scratching your arms, uh, you see kids that dig into their arms and they have little scars all up and down their arms. I remember a young lady at a, at a drive-through restaurant and she reached out to hand us our our meal, you know, in the bag and we're looking at her arm and I just saw scars all up and down her arms and I knew exactly what it was. It was from self-injurious behavior. And I, I think too, like one thing, um, actually this is, this is really, it is huge. Cutting seems to be the, the predominant thing. Um, but one thing that I was actually recently introduced to is um, uh, Heath Lambert did uh, one of his podcast episodes on his podcast, which is called Truth and Love. And uh, they did uh, an episode all on hair pulling. I think uh, it was episode 130. So if um, uh, those listeners out there want to check that out, that's a great podcast to listen to. Um, but it was all about hair pulling. It's a similar thing, you know, where people are pulling hair out of their heads for the, the these same reasons. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, same heart reasons, plucking your eyelashes, slamming shoulders into a wall until bruises or punching a, you know, something for guys. I mean, p- picking scabs and and people would even argue, you know, the the extreme tattooing and and pier- self, you know, the piercings and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you'll see people who have hundreds of piercings and and uh, all over their bodies, and and um, that that is considered a form of even though a form of self injury. Even though a lot of people in the in the world wouldn't want to call it that. I mean, it it really that is what it is. Mm. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I, especially, you know, you get to the the more extreme piercing stuff, like the gauging and stuff like that. It's just it goes it goes to a lot of extremes. And I think you mentioned something. It's important to remind all of us. Uh, we did an episode. Um, it was one fourteen. Uh, so this was uh, back in December, I believe. It's called "How to Know If Your Child Is Addicted." And in that episode, I think we showed what you're saying that everyone is in fact addicted uh, to what I said was really the most damning substance on the planet, and that substance is self. You know, we we just we, and we talked about how every other addiction really in in a in a big way is kind of a secondary addiction to feed that first one, and so that you know sometimes you know when we look at someone who's cutting and we say oh man that, that they have an addiction to cutting well really they're just cutting themselves because of their worship of self. And that looks like it's a huge problem, but in the same way that people uh, cut themselves, you know, somebody else uh, over here is uh, having is eating disorder, or this person over here is is getting a lot of tattoos, and those things are kind of like a little bit more quote unquote commonly accepted, but they still are secondary addic- addictions that are being used to feed the primary one of that, you know, that looking for satisfaction in myself. 
So uh, for you listeners, today's episode really for me was specifically born uh, from a desire to equip parents, uh, you to discover the core and the peripheral symptoms of a cutter. So you can see, you know, if you try to try to understand if your child is having this temptation. However, before we jump into that, um, I, I, Mark, I'm wondering if you'd help us understand really the mind of a person. And I think you've done that a little bit, but really kind of broaden this out. Who, you know, the mind of a person who would struggle with this temptation to cause themselves pain. I work with a lot of cutters. Um, and t- honestly, I think working with them sometimes is easier than helping their parents um, understand why they cut in the first place. You know, I, my, sometimes the parents are going, Aaron, I, I don't get why a person would do that. So a lot of people struggle with this concept. What would you say to a parent who asks, why would my child even do that? How would you help that parent kind of put themselves into their kid's shoes? Yeah, you hit a great point. Uh, it's it's often the family members who really don't understand why would my kid do this. And, um, you know, with, with kids who cut, I mean, they are a misunderstood group. Oftentimes, it's how they see themselves. They see themselves as ignored, unappreciated, that kind of thing by their parents or by friends or, you know, and, and you know, you think about the Bible makes a distinction in our in our maturity level. When, when I was a child, I thought as a child, when I'm adult, I think as an adult kind of thing. So so kids don't always deal with things, um, know how to deal with it as on an adult level. And I often think of abuse kids too, um, uh, se- sexual abuse, for example, Kids are kind of thrust into an adult world before their bodies are physically able to, to deal with them. I mean, maybe in some, you know, we're talking about a seven, eight-year-old. They're not able uh, to have children at that age, but um, their their spiritual understanding, their emotional understanding is um, like a child. So they don't know how to deal with this stuff that happens to them. Uh, and and I think it, it doesn't have to be that severe with cutting. I think people often think, oh, man, this is a very serious mental Ill- illness. We need to get them to a psychiatrist fast and do all that. And and I think, um, I mean, I, it depends on where people are, you know, where, where they find their child in the in the progressive state of this. But I think there's so much that we can do as parents, we can do as uh, friends who come alongside or biblical counselors or pastors or, you know, just anyone in the body of Christ, we can sit down and help these cutters who are seeing themselves as ignored or, uh, you know, unappreciated, overpowered maybe sometimes, and cutting gives them a chance to feel control. Uh, sometimes they feel overwhelmed by all the stress in their lives, and and uh, I think that's a big thing with, with kids now right now is the anxiety you know, you, they see all this stuff on Instagram and in social media, and they're um, they they're seeing a perfect version of everything, and so they're looking at their own nose and saying, "Oh man, my nose is too too long or too wide or too this or my hair is this or I wish I had that that pair of shoes or that purse or or for boys it's 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 similar kinds of things." And so kids are anxious. They're they're wanting to strive to be perfect, and that creates the stress, the the overwhelming feelings that they have. And then, you know, being bullied or, or degraded by other teenagers. I mean, that's common in the teenage realm. It can happen in other ages. Um, uh, but then, just strongly disliking themselves. So I think that's where the the cutter goes. They go to a place where they can control it. We'll talk about that more in a minute, I'm sure. But uh, that's kind of how they're seeing themselves. And so parents can step in and help. Um, wh- one thing I do real quick, I mean, with our kids, 
we went to a, a counseling training conference. Uh, it was open to the whole church, and I took my two youngest kids. We have four. And um, at afterwards, we always try to stop somewhere and just talk about it. And usually I have to kind of unpack wrong theology or things that I heard that I, that I really don't want my kids to believe that if they're not biblical. So we stop and we talk and we, you know, and I listen to them and I just ask questions at first. And then I kind of bring in my agenda. Well, you know, when this person said this or said that, this is what the Bible teaches. And I'm not sure that's true. And I try to say it in a way that, you know, this person loves the Lord. They're just, they don't know this yet. You know, they're in the process of learning. So I try to unpack that for my kids and help them to think and understand more in, in a more mature adult-like way without without making them into adults. That's, that's not the point. But helping them to understand things in a bigger way is what I'm trying to explain. And so I think with kids, they're just emotional. They don't know how to deal with things that are hurtful and it, dealing with suffering and, and all that. And so they go to this place of self-harm and parents wonder, you know, what's going on, but this is a place that they can control. Hmm. I think that's fantastic insight. And I think it's helpful because we don't all respond to things the same way. You know, some, some people are more sensitive to certain things and other people that doesn't bother them. And I think that's helpful. And we really do. I think it's so beneficial for us to try to understand what our kids are going uh, what they're experiencing. I read an article recently that uh, said that so many of the symptoms and the things that kids are doing nowadays are, are similar to PTSD. You know, our kids are experiencing some of the same pressures and stresses that people coming back from war are, exp- are experiencing. And uh, why they're experiencing that is really, I think, a big part too, not really the emphasis of this show, but for a good part uh, for us to try to understand um, why is my kid feeling what they're feeling? You know, sometimes I don't know that they have an Instagram account. I don't know what they're seeing on there. And so we're going to talk, we are going to talk about that, about that later, but I just want to get your feedback on this too, because in my experience with the, uh, with the students I've worked with who uh, attempted to cut, I've found that some of them kind of feel the need to pay penance. I like the old uh, Catholic view of, of self-flagellation and whatnot. I've sinned, so I need to hurt myself. I know I've encountered some people who, who are like that. Uh, some people, I think, are just trying to distract themselves. You know, a lot of adults do that. They, uh, they'll turn to alcohol. For me, when I was younger, I actually, one of my distraction things was sleep. I would go take a nap if I just wanted to escape the stress and the pressure of the situation. And I think some kids use uh, cutting in a similar way. Um, I also read once um, in some research that I had picked up after the um, uh, the conference that you and I were at uh, about the fact that really th- the physical process of harming yourself, if it's not a- an extreme type of a harm, but it is actually has a biological response that can be mildly enjoyable. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the body is wired to uh, deal with pain I- internally. And so when you injure yourself, your body creates these natural pain relieving mechanisms uh, to relieve that and to bring some kind of desired effect and you know i think it's the anticipation of cutting the excitement the man i, I you know i can't wait to do this that that's going on that excitement physiologically inside of the body and then when they do it again the pain receptors the way god's wired our bodies um that relief comes in and it can be more powerful than any opioid uh, that's on the market today. Yeah. Wow. And that's an important thing for us to acknowledge. I also want to throw out there that um, 
in uh, the same um, podcast that I mentioned earlier, uh, Truth and Love with Heath Lambert. Uh, it was episode 137. Mark was just on that podcast, and uh, he gave a lot more uh, fantastic information about cutting too. So I'm going to encourage you to listen to that to get some more information. But I think the big key for us is that whether or not we can kind of quote unquote fit into our kids' shoes, we just need to understand that some people are tempted to hurt themselves when they're under pressure. That's just a reality, uh, whether we comprehend it or not. Uh, so we first, like I mentioned earlier, we need to realize that this behavior is motivated by, I think, their greatest addiction, which is addiction to self-satisfaction. You know, some people self-medicate, some people steal, some people overeat, some people cut. So whether it's thieves or cutters, we as parents know they're worshipers uh, who are worshiping the wrong gods, all right? But many times, unless we see the cuts, we might not know our children has a problem with self-harm if they can kind of veil it from us. Um, but I guess, I guess my question is then, and maybe a lot of people have the same question, well, can I just look for the cuts? Um, or will our children do a good job covering them up? I mean, imagine a younger child, it would be a lot easier to see, uh, during bath time or something like that. If we, if you're, uh, if you're helping them in that process, but when they get older, it's harder. So how, how hard is it normally? I mean, you saw that girl's arm as she reached uh, your food out to you, but you know, how easy is it to see the cuts sometimes? Yeah, that is a great issue, and and I think it shows too the desire of the cutter to to cover it up, to deceive, to to lie about it, if you will. I mean, it sounds like um, it it looks more like manipulation or whatever, but it's a it's a planned deception. They know that it's wrong. That's my point. There is you know anytime we're trying to cover something up, and I think kids really do cover it up well. They hide it. They know it's wrong. They have a sense of that guilt. Uh, they might not know why it's wrong, and they might not be Christians yet, you know, to know why it's wrong from a biblical perspective. But uh, they know it's wrong. They hide it. They wear long sleeves. They try to cut in places uh, that no one could see. I remember counseling about a 27-year-old young lady who uh, had done this for, you know, over 10 years, and her parents, her husband, no one had any idea because of where she cut. It was always in a place that you couldn't see. Uh, she always did it in private, you know, Proverbs 18.1, the, the seeking your own desire and doing things, you know, in private. Um, and so she hid it so very well. But what brought it out was she used a knife and was really, really in an, in an emotional fit of anger and cut uh, very deeply and just about died, you know, doing the, mm -hmm. due to bleeding out. And they had to rush to the hospital, and so it all kind of came out. But here she had been doing this habitually for uh, 12, 13, 14 years. And, um, and so, yeah, they hide it. Uh, it it's difficult to find. Um, it's difficult to know because they'll say, well, I just bumped my head on you know, some or, or bump my arm on something, you know, uses not on the head, but uh, I bump my arm on something and I did, you know, um, and, and they have a, they have a planned deceptive answer. They're ready, you know, with their plan. They, they've, that's why, you know, when the world deals with it as impulsive, uh, there might be an element of it that in an emotional uh, fit of anger or, or um, real depression, that they act out in a way that looks impulsive, but there's a lot of planning that goes on before, yeah. during, and after. So true. I actually am familiar with that. Um, that Did you write about that incident in a book? 
Because I think I read that I, someplace. I did. Yeah, mm, yeah. I, I read that. And when I saw that, I thought to myself, man, oh, man, think about that. A, a husband didn't know that his wife was struggling with this for years. And that's why that's why we're doing this episode. We got to know. We have to have our eyes open. We have to be paying attention. We have to be asking the right questions, looking at the right things. And this is why this is so valuable. So you might not be able to see the cutting, okay? You might not be able to see the evidence of it, especially if your child is older. You could just ask if they're self-harming, but from my experience and kind of like Mark alluded to, um, you know, they may like talking about it to their friends. They may actually even post pictures of it on Instagram, but unless you, the parent, already knows about the cutting, uh, generally the child isn't going to open up when asked. Um, asking is not a bad start. I mean, it does show you care. Um, if you already have a concern, if you've already noticed some things, um, at some point, you know, you're going to have to ask a question. Um, so what are your experiences with that, Mark? You know, whether, whether they're asking out of complete ignorance, they're not sure. Hey, but you know, did might just say to their kid, Hey, have you ever been tempted to cut? Or maybe they say, Hey, I've seen this and I'm, and I'm kind of concerned. What do you suggest we do when it does finally come time to ask? Yeah, I think parents shouldn't be afraid to ask. I mean, how you ask, um, I mean, can kind of close the, the child down. I mean, if you ask in a fit of anger or uh, where you, you know, or ask in a way that the kid knows, man, this is going to be bad. I think just kind of talking about it, maybe even asking about, you know, do you have friends who are really struggling and cutting? What what are they cutting for? You know, what what's driving them? And have your kids talk about it, you know, in a third person Avenue. I mean, it's a little sneaky, but I think parents need, I think parents need to be wise as serpents, you know, and harmless as doves. Um, and we, we do need to ask our kids and, and sometimes kids are waiting to be asked that specific question, you know, and, and that's when they'll answer it, but, um, they're kind of playing a game. And so parents, I don't think need to be afraid of answer, asking the question because the, of the answer they may hear. It may be very, uh, discouraging to hear that, or the parent might think, Oh no, I've got to, a child who's mentally ill—that's that's not—that's uh, not it at all. The child needs to talk. They need counsel. Who better than, to get it from than their parents or, or a, a biblical counselor, pastor in the church, somebody like that who can really. Uh, encourage the child to think biblically about these issues. That's so true. And also don't not ask because you're afraid of uh, possibly introducing these ideas to your kid. You know, like, you know, we talked about this when we've discussed uh, on previous episodes, pornography and things and sexuality. Some parents don't want to talk about it because they don't want to be the ones to give their kids the ideas. That's likely not going to be the issue. And so if you're asking your kid, hey, you know, do you ever heard of cutting? Have your friends ever talked about cutting? Don't not ask um, because you're concerned uh, that they're going to hear it first from you. Uh, what you're able to do then is actually lay a foundation for what it is and how we should think biblically, just like Mark was saying about how he and his kids, after going to a, a spiritually focused event, uh, they they sit down and they debrief. You know, they talk about what was what was true and what was false and things like that. And we need to be doing that with our kids. Uh, so, you know, it may be hard to spot the cuts um, and asking may or may not reveal anything. OK, but don't lose hope. I believe there are some things for which we can look that uh, they may betray that your child has a problem with self-harm. Again, on episode 114, we discussed that addictions have core symptoms and peripheral symptoms. OK, the primary addiction we know is self-worship. We know that the core symptoms are behaviors that point directly to the secondary addiction. Okay, a core symptom that all addictions share is preoccupation. We talked about that last time. For example, uh, if you look at your child's Instagram account and you see that she's posted a bunch of images featuring, you know, cutting paraphernalia, uh, words and ideas and song lyrics that refer to cutting, images of people with, you know, prominent scars and such, 
well, then what you're probably witnessing is a preoccupation with cutting. They, they may not be doing it, but it's definitely a preoccupation and it's probably going to lead in that direction. Uh, and you start to see uh, that what their main struggle is. So Mark, help us out, you know, as parents, as we're looking for these other types of preoccupations, what can we be looking for that will help us deduce if our ch- child may be having this struggle? The, um, the desire is to remove unpleasant conditions from life. I remember a quote from Princess Diana, you have so much pain inside of yourself and you just try and hurt yourself on the outside because you need help. So I think that is what they're trying to do is transfer emotional pain into something that they can control, they think, um, and they hope they can control and they can feel on the outside. So these peripheral uh, changes often are, um, you know, getting away, getting alone. I think of Proverbs 18.1 that talks about that. Um, so they're, they might uh, escape from family conversations and kind of uh, be in a place where they're brooding or thinking about uh, being bullied that day at school. And, um, and they're just afraid to, I think fear is a big thing too. And so they're afraid to, to tell people about it. They're afraid of not being perfect or being, uh, you know, something's wrong with me. And, and again, not knowing how to deal with it, being kind of overwhelmed by that and anxious. So uh, fear is a big uh, thing that expresses itself in these uh, pre, uh, you know, these, these um, transformational uh, peripheral symptoms, as you call it. And I really like that podcast or that episode at one fourteen. I thought it was really excellent. Thank you. Um, I thought it was great information, and and that's what their look parents need to be looking for. You know, are they withdrawing? And and I think as parents, you know, I think about God, the Father who sent His own Son to be with us. I mean, God sent His Son to be at our level with us to enter in. And I think as parents, especially as fathers, we need to enter into our kids' world. Now that doesn't mean playing video games all of the time, although I I. <laughs> I do enjoy that, you know, with my kids or whatever, playing basketball, but, but entering into their world and trying to understand them and the pressures that they're under, because it's different than when I was a kid. I mean, there were, there were pressures when I was a kid, but it was, they were different. And so, uh, understanding my kids and their struggles and, and so forth, um, I think is important. And so, yeah, I mean, any of these peripheral symptoms, any of these things that are going on with them where they are making changes that are are significant withdrawing or getting in with the wrong crowd. I think parents, we have to be so careful about the the kids that we um, have our children's, you know, uh, be around. I mean, um, not that there's no perfect kid out there, you know, Um, and I like for certain conflicts and things to arise so that we can try to resolve them biblically, you know, with, with the kids. But there are kids that I think are already immersed in a lifestyle of uh, wickedness and addiction uh, in, in terms of chemical addictions and that kind of thing. And so as parents, we need to uh, lay down the law and, and make sure our kids understand, hey, you don't need to be around this person or that person. You, you need to be careful who you're surrounding yourself with or yeah. or I really don't want you to be around that person. Yeah. And I think I think that, that kind of exposes two issues that we have. One issue is that sometimes we're just not paying attention enough. 
we're not noticing those transformational uh, symptoms where you know, this kid is making this this change and he's hanging out with a new group or he's just acting differently, he's spending more time in his room. Sometimes we just go, oh, he's just in a phase or that's just what happens when they hit the teen years and things like that. And I think all of that's really dangerous. I think it's foolish when we parents uh, miss uh, those key things that are going on. Um, but also sometimes too, I think something that happens is that we address the peripheral symptom uh, without realizing that the, it may be a symptom of something deeper. It's not a core thing. It's some, the core thing is something else. Um, you know, I've, I've met parents who um, they address the self-deprecating speech. They address the secretive behavior, but they address it like it's the core issue, like there's no other issue beyond it. They don't realize that it's, it's just a symptom of a deeper issue. So I think those are two uh, temptations we as parents face when we see these uh, these uh, other issues in our kids' lives. We don't realize that, A, it's potentially pointing to something much deeper, which ultimately is going to be self-worship. Um, and then B, when we just kind of deal with that surface thing and we move on, or, or I guess the other side of that is that we just don't see it at all. And that's, I think, huge issues. Uh, but in order to kind of round out our list a little bit more, I think some more things that you parents uh, can be listening uh, and watching for is, you know, is there, what is their music promoting? Man, we've talked a lot on this show about knowing what your kid's music is all about. Uh, I, I really think you need to do that because sometimes they're just filling their minds with these ideas that they never thought of before. And, and it just kind of becomes cool and it comes cool because their music told them it was cool. Also look for implements. This is an interesting one. I once had a boy who took a knife, but he didn't take the knife to cut himself. He took the knife so that he could sharpen a uh, golf tee. He found a wooden golf tee and he took the knife, sharpened the wooden golf tee so that he could use the golf tee to cut himself. I, I found, and like Mark already alluded to, it, there's there's a very systematic, there's oftentimes a very planned out type of a, approach to cutting. And it's, it's almost like... Um, like almost a worship service in a way. Everything's set up. It's all right where it needs to be. So look for those things. Look for things that kind of seem out of place. Why would there be a sharpened golf tee uh, in your child's room? Things like that. Also, I think it's really important to uh, see if your children are drawing on themselves. I, I know it's like second nature. Kids doodle on themselves and whatnot. But I found, I don't know about you, Mark, I found that some people uh, draw on themselves to actually mask that they've been cutting. They may use a red pen or a dark uh, a Sharpie or something like that to kind of cover that up. And like you mentioned earlier too, the, uh, the the wearing of long clothes. These are all just things I think that we can uh, uh, be looking at to say, hey, you know, my kid, he's wearing long sleeve shirt and long pants in the middle of summer. You know, I guess depending on where you live, that might be normal. But in most places, I think we kind of be like, huh, what's going on with this? So any other um, things on your list, things that, you know, hopefully could stick out to a parent as being something that really should grab their mind and have them ask the next question? Well, you, you hit on a big one, I think, with music and just thinking about like a lot of rap artists uh, promote pill popping and, and, you know, drug money and all that kind of stuff. So what they're listening to and what how they're starting to wear their clothes uh, and their look and, and the long sleeve shirts, all that kind of stuff is great. And parents just need to be attentive. Like you said, that was great. Awesome. Yeah. And no, it's, it's huge. We just need I mean, premeditated intentional parents. All right. So this insight's really helpful for me. I'm really appreciating this. Um, so it's true that we parents, you know, we can so easily miss the indicators that reveal our kids are worshiping themselves, but beyond equipping us with the knowledge to spot the self-harm, uh, I'd like for you to take a moment to help us understand really just the best way to parent our children. Let's just say that we've 
we've figured it out. Okay, we've we've discussed it. We've even potentially approached our children. It's out on the table, and, and you know we we're we're wanting to deal with it. And like you've said, I think a lot of parents get scared. They uh, they think, oh no, my my child has a mental disorder or something like that, and they feel ill-equipped to deal with this. So I have four questions. I, I really like you to help us answer. Number one, what biblical truth can we bring to bear on the situation? Number two. What additional help should we seek if we discover our kids are hurting themselves? Because, I mean, yes, we are equipped by God to handle this, but we might not have all of the information we need. Number three, how can we help our kids not become addicted to self-injury? You know, if, if my child isn't to that point yet, what can are things that I can do to help them? And then number four, how can we help them break the cycle once they've started? So this is kind of the four questions I'd like to to really look at in the, with our remaining time. So let's start with the first one. What biblical truth do you think, generally speaking, we can bring to bear on this situation? Yeah, generally, I think you want to do all kinds of teaching on uh, the suffering and how to handle suffering and to understand how uh, in the Bible different uh, persons mentioned in the words of uh, on of Scripture how different people had to deal with suffering and uh, for the cause of Christ. And so, you know, I think about Bible verses, Ecclesiastes 1, 9, and 10 uh, reminds parents that what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. So this issue isn't something new, and it, um, it's it been around for a long time. The verse, verse continues, is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new, it has already been uh, in the ages before us. So parents don't need to panic, uh, understanding that this is an issue that's been around a long time. And then I think understanding pagan worship, <laughs> and you think, you think, well, oh, okay, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> but I think in Leviticus, you know, Leviticus 19.28, God warned them about making cuts on their body for the dead or tattooing themselves, I am the Lord, and Leviticus 21.5 is very similar too, of uh, making cuts on your body for the purpose of mourning the dead. And so I think the reason I, I deal with this issue as more of a grieving issue, again, handling suffering, feeling ignored, or unappreciated, bullied, overwhelmed, overpowered, et cetera, et cetera. I think all of that is very similar to uh, how pagans grieve the dead. And so I think, uh, you know, my booklet and other booklets talk about that, and people can certainly use that those scriptures in a way to break it down at a, at a child's level, but we're not to grieve as though we have no hope. Mm-hmm. And so for, for the Christian, you know, um, I have a grandmother right now who's not doing well in the hospital and she may die, um, but the belief is she's a, she's a Christian and she's going to be with the Lord in heaven. And so we, we grieve our loss, you know, it's selfishly, I guess. Uh, we grieve our loss, but uh, potentially here in this situation, but we also celebrate uh, her going on to be with the Lord. And so I think the the biblical truth that has to bear in all these situations is having a God, uh, a perspective from God's view rather than our view helps us a lot. And we have to instill that in our kids. They don't come pre-wired with that. We have to help them to understand. Yeah, we just have to help them understand biblical passages that, that bring hope, that bring a different perspective uh, then and it's a biblical perspective. That's what the kids need, and and parents just have to do that faithfully day by day by day. I was thinking, you know, 
I've taught for a long time, and my kids go with me on a lot of the trips, and, uh, and you know, I've taught this stuff everywhere, and it's always amazing to me. We'll be driving home, and somebody will say, Dad, you mentioned XYZ tonight, you know, and I've mentioned that, you know, the same story, the same thing, you know, a hundred times they've heard it, but for whatever reason, it clicked mm-hmm. that particular night, and I think parenting is the same way. We're, we're, we've got to constantly just... Um, bring up themes, bring up truths, bring up uh, uh, biblical principles for our kids to hear all the time, hoping that in at some point it's going to penetrate the heart and they're going to uh, get it. But, the, you know, there there's tons of biblical truth that I help, I think, help kids to understand that they are valuable in Christ because they're an image bearer of God, that they represent God and that they should live for God and that they want to see life from God's view, not from our view. And, and kids can get it sometimes better than adults. Yeah, uh, that's that's definitely true. And this kind of actually is tying in a little bit now with our third question, how can we help our kids not become addicted to self-injury? Because I think in many ways, what we the, the truth that we would bring to bear into the life of a child who is struggling with it is the same truth that we need to start bringing into the lives of kids who aren't struggling with it yet. I mean, some kid comes home from school having had a really stressful, high-pressure day. Um, how they're going to handle that, even if they're not tempted to cut themselves, right? They're, they're still going to be tempted, uh, likely, to handle that in an inappropriate way. So bringing the biblical truth to bear in their lives um, that will help them to deal with that in a Christ-honoring way will not only um, help the children who are handling it the wrong way, but also hopefully uh, prepare a child to not take it to the next step and to do something like self-harm. So that's definitely very true. One passage I like to use is uh, the story of Elijah. You know, you've got the, uh, the the prophets of Baal and that huge mountaintop experience. Well, then Elijah just goes running off into the wilderness, and he's he's kind of like pre-suicidal. He's actually saying, you know, I just wish I were dead. Um, and he's really in a bout of what we call depression at that moment. He's not handling the stress well. Even having God do this miraculous work, he's struggling with this. And this is informative for us parents. I mean, just because our kids are, quote unquote, doing well, just because they're, they're, they're leaders in the youth group and whatnot, doesn't mean that they're not going to be tempted uh, with these, these thoughts and these, they have these struggles. But secondly, you can guide your child through how God got Elijah back to where he was supposed to be. See how God interacted with Elijah. See what he drew Elijah's mind to. And then we see Elijah going back out and doing the work of the Lord. So yeah, keeping that truth in your kid's life, teaching them all the time how to handle stress and pressure and trials and we're studying James right now. Uh, you know, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. You know, what does that look like? Helping your kid understand that. Uh, now, okay, now the second question was, uh, assuming if we find that our kids are hurting themselves, what additional help should we as parents seek? You know, if we don't have the experience and haven't worked the jobs that you've worked and haven't been trained in this, um, we have what we need to parent them, but what additional help should we be looking for? I think I read, um, or my wife told me about, that's probably the, the truth of it. Um, <laughs> I, um, she told me about um, a study that they did that uh, kids need four or five different uh, adult voices in their lives. And um, so I think, you know, what better than to go to the church to try to find like-minded friends in the church or, or a pastor or a deacon um, and I'm thinking friends like go to the church and find a couple of ladies who would sit down and uh, meet with a teenage girl, uh, you know, uh, your daughter who 
they could disciple and spend time with her and be another voice in in your child's life. And so I think that's I try to get my kids around adults, uh, friends a lot so that they can speak the same message that mom and dad speak. But this adult, they'll hear it from a different adult than they would their parents. So I think that's a resource. Um, you know, if it's severe cutting and, and trouble, I think you've got to go seek out biblical counseling to cr- try to get to the heart of the issue and what's going on with the kid. I mean, it could be that the kid um, was abused in some way, and there's a multitude of ways that can happen, and they just don't know how to deal with it. And so parents uh, need to uh, try to investigate that or, or let a counselor investigate that um, and provide the help that the kid needs. But um, there are lots of ways. I mean, and, and parents, I think, need to be aware of uh, knives and and uh, utensils like that that could be used for self-harm uh, at Vision of Hope. When we worked with the ladies there, we had all the knives uh, accounted for. We kept them in the same place. We didn't, uh, we counted them after every meal, you know. So there were a lot of detail work that we did in that residential program for young ladies that uh, offered them a safer place, or at least a, a place that they were more accountable uh, for their actions and uh, and trying to limit the opportunities for that. But uh, it's, I mean, what's hard about this is, you know, you can take a paper clip or something like that and, and yeah. harm yourself. So, and kids are, are, are sharp, you know, they're, I mean, they're very intelligent. Sharp's probably not the word to pick there, but uh, so I, wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't trying to be uh, uh, funny or whatever, but uh, no, kids are really smart and they, um, they know what to, what, you know, what'll work and what won't work. And so I think parents need to, to not be ashamed of it or afraid of it and go to their church, their pastor, a biblical counselor, friends in the church um, and if they have to go to counseling, I mean, it, it's much better to go to biblical counseling than to secular counseling because, I mean, that could create a whole uh, another set of problems, I think, um, because the kids are going to believe that this expert knows what they're talking about and the expert's going to point them to self, which is the, the whole core issue of their addiction is the yeah. preoccupation in, uh, with self. So. Um, so they've got to seek out help in the church and not be embarrassed. I mean, the, the church ought to be the one place that people go for help and not have the pride that keeps them from it, you know, the shame and so forth. Uh, but the church needs to be the place we go for help. Amen. Amen. And a lot of what you were saying kind of also ties into our fourth question. How can we help them break the cycle once they've started? Now, I mean, there, there are I mean, there are tons of answers we could give in this situation. It, it, it's oftentimes dependent. Sometimes you have to bring in an outside source or, you know, getting biblical counseling and whatnot. I think little kids who pick scabs um, is something that's uh, frequent with little children and self-harm. Uh, I think there are different things that you can do with them that you can do with older kids who are using blades to cut themselves and so on. But, um, but yeah, so a lot of the things that you've discussed have kind of answered that question. What else might you say, though, um, to help them break the cycle? Obviously... The issue is self, and when you when you give up on self and you turn to God, that temptation flees. Only in the moments when you're tempted back to worship self are, are you going to be tempted to satisfy yourself in your own way. But what are some things that might be, um, I'm just going to be honest, what are some things that might be a Band-Aid that can help to maybe break the cycle, that can help the child start to uh, focus on something else? 
Yeah, I mean, any of this that we're talking about probably is a more of a behavioral band-aid than a, a real heart change. But I think you gotta you gotta get them to uh, stop doing the behavior. I mean, that's the first thing. And as as they begin to stop, as you limit their access uh, to being alone, I mean, maybe they need to be with a buddy all day. You know, you're just gonna have to stay close to your sister all day today. You know, or or uh, somebody at school, or you have to uh, make other people aware of the issue. I mean, that that's just part of it. Um, but loneliness, getting alone, is a super uh, huge temptation for them and an opportunity. So you keep them with someone, and I think you've got to um, fill their minds with, you know, praise music and and uh, positive music rather than. Uh, the ideas on television, the ideas in the music industry that that promote self and promote uh, harm, really, uh, and brooding and, and all that. I mean, you know, if I watch the news all morning, I mean, I'll be depressed all day, you know. <laughs> That's so true. Um, <laughs> so, so I think we've got we've got to help them with just immediate, quick things that kind of change uh, the behavior first outwardly, but then we got to attack the self-reliant attitudes. The lies they're believing, you know, the victim mentality, the brooding, the uh, perfectionism of thinking that they have to have a nose that's a certain looks a certain way, like a certain movie star, which probably isn't a real birth nose <laughs> anyway. Um, and and kids just, um, you know, and, and and kids think like children, so I think parents have to ask questions to draw them out. I don't I don't think parents do a good job of that. I know my wife and I both could improve in this area of drawing our kids out and asking them questions and getting to know them because they're thinking about things very differently than we are and creating an atmosphere of uh, radical, extravagant grace where our kids can talk about things that, you know, are kind of ugly and, and um, but they know we'll, we'll love them and we can have an open forum and it doesn't change, you know, our relationship, but we need to talk about these things. I think parents sometimes are so alarmed that we want to just, you know, throw a hand grenade of, of Bible truth at our kids and say, well, you should never do that. And you shouldn't think that it's not in the Bible. You know, that's not going to be productive mm. as much as drawing them out. And, and I mean, Jesus did that. You look at the uh, woman at the well uh, and how Jesus handled that whole situation. I mean, he didn't just start off where he ended with her, where you know, you're, you're the guy you're with right now. He's not your husband. He didn't. He didn't start with that. He started. You know, give me a drink of water, and and um, he kind of entered into her world in a in the place that she was in a way that she could receive it. He developed a relationship with her, and and they and she began to see who he really was, and then he got to the place where he, um, you know, called her to repentance in a very loving way for her own benefit. And, um, you know, and, and so I think parents can learn a lot from, from how Jesus uh, interacted with other people. And we need to do that with our kids. Man, and that is a, just a wonderful place to, to finish up because that is so powerful to be a safe place for your kids 
where you do speak the truth in love, where you become a truth love parent, where um, where you just you're parenting the way God's called us to parent. You know, uh, that idea of a safe place is so huge. Your parent, your your kids need to feel comfortable coming to you and talking about sex and talking about drugs and talking about what the kids are saying at school and talking about their struggles. And uh, man, that was hit the nail right on the head. I really, really am very thankful for your insight. I appreciate it. I know uh, my audience is as well. But last question here, are there any additional resources you'd like to tell us about? As no doubt, there are some parents listening today who know for certain their child is cutting and they really just want to know more about God's mind on the subject. Yeah, there there are resources and, you know, there weren't as many as there are today. I mean, uh, that's the blessing of the biblical counsel movement. People like yourself are creating content, you know, podcasts that I think I think the one that you mentioned, I think it was, was it 114? Yeah. Or is it that, that one, that, that's great for parents to kind of understand the heart behind this. I think specific to self-harm, I have a little booklet that I wrote, Hope and Help for Self-Injury for Cutters, and, and I think is the title of that. So I have that little booklet. Ed Welch has a booklet on self-harm. Jeremy, Jeremy Lellick has a booklet on it, as well as Amy Baker. And so, I mean, you could get all four of those. Uh, little booklets, I, you know, it's kind of funny uh, that we all wrote booklets on that. I didn't know that there were any booklets out there when I wrote mine, but um, other than Ed's, I knew Ed's was out there. But the um, uh, those kind of resources, I think, are are not long reads. They kind of help you to enter into the child's world, to be a safe place, and to figure out what's really going on. And and again, my approach is, you know, the mourning the dead, the the hopelessness, the despair, the the overpowered feelings and um, and parents have a big responsibility, but we have God's given us the resources we need from His Word to help our kids think about life in it from a biblical perspective, rather than from a the perspective of hurt and self, you know, and and uh, just really um, self addiction. I mean, you, you've hit on that. So there are lots of good things. I mean. Uh, the Truth and Love podcast that uh, Heath Lambert does are great. Uh, and I think Johnny Erickson Tata, if, if there's one person I want my kids to, to read, uh, not that maybe people might not agree with everything theologically that Johnny uh, teaches, but boy, if there's anybody who understands suffering mm. and, and uh, physical disability and limitations, I mean, I want my kids to understand, you know, uh, be, be in a wheelchair all day, you know? I mean, uh, you know, I thought about, you know, let's bring a wheelchair and make our kids just sit in a wheelchair and be in a wheelchair all day uh, just to experience it. You know, you can't get up. You can't go to the bathroom as easily. There's, you know, there's all kinds of obstacles and all that. And so I think Johnny really helps me to be thankful when I read her and, and I appreciate more of how she handles suffering. So I think that's what we have to do with our kids is help them to see that there are many people less fortunate than us in lots of ways. But here's Johnny. Um, when, I, when I met her in, in December, she is such a gifted, gifted individual. I mean, she sings and she just kind of moves on. I thought, wow, I haven't met someone this gifted in a long time. Forget that she's in, you know, in a wheelchair. I mean, she is um, an incredible person and joyful. And I thought, you know, it, it just brought conviction into my own heart. So I think our kids need that as well. They need to understand that there are people in more difficult, more challenging situations, but they handle suffering in a godly biblical way. Yeah. 
Yeah, get your eyes off of self. I know what you're talking about with uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. In fact, everything you're saying here, I think is super important. I did an episode really early on called The Most Important Thing I Can Say to Parents. And that was just about uh, equipping yourself, learning more, researching, studying, growing, uh, because it's so easy to uh, to not put the necessary amount of research into the most important calling, uh, one of the most important callings that we have, and that is to parent our children. So thank you so much, Mark, for all of this. I, I really praise God for your ministry, what you've done, what he's going to uh, use you for in the future. Uh, what you're doing is beautiful. Uh, and for God's calling on your life to parent your own kids, I loved hearing your little anecdotes and what you're doing with them and things like that. That was an encouragement to me. Just thank you so much for taking the time this morning. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate your ministry. Great. God will continue to bless it, brother. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much to you listeners for spending all this time with us today. As usual, when we have a special guest, there are no episode notes or transcript, but there are plenty of amazing biblical Christ-honoring resources available, and I encourage you to check them out. Now, on our next episode, we'll be discussing why why is more important than what. It's an idea we've kicked around, but I want to take a little bit more time with it. We all know the power of asking questions. We talked about that today, but so many people say that why questions aren't as good as what questions. About what are they talking and why is why so important. And don't forget to check out Dr. Shaw's links in the description. And if you haven't connected with us on social media or with him for what on earth are you waiting? I just don't understand it. And if you like some more specific assistance with your unique family struggles, please send an email to counselor at truthloveparent.com. Self-harm seems gross and strange, but it grows from the same addiction with which you and I struggle. Don't fear the fruit. Just parent the root. Have a great week. Truth, Love, Parent is part of the Evermind Ministries family and is dedicated to helping you become an intentional, premeditated parent. Join us next time as we search God's Word for the truth your family needs today.